Hello everyone and welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show itself, Janine, we're back, yay, do you know what episode it is? Uh, hundred and something? One, two, three. Oh, that's a, that's a nice number. <laughs> it's episode one, two, three of the main show, and we're here talking about another Patreon pick because we love the Patreon picks, don't we, Jenny? We do very much so. The Patreon picks always tend to be good movies. I don't yeah. think. I think it would be fair to say that uh, this movie was another good pick from the patrons. This was, uh, of course, Steve, Movie for Nobies pick for this month at his particular Patreon tier. He gets the choice to pick something for one of the shows every single month that he is a Patreon at that tier at. And this month, he chose this movie. Well, he sends us a nice list. Yes, and so we just choose from his list. We choose from Steve's list. That's how Steve does it. Yes. Everybody's different. That's how Steve does it. Um, Had you seen this? Had you seen this movie before? I had never seen this movie before. I had only ever seen one movie with this lead actor in it before. Seriously? I'm afraid to say. Um, Today, we are talking about... 1968's The Thomas Crown Affair that I originally thought was spelt crown like Crown Plaza Hotel. Like with an E at the end? Like with an E at the end, but it isn't. It's just crown like the crown of a king. Yeah. It's The Thomas Crown Affair. A heist movie. A detective-y detective-y movie. A cat and mouse movie. A cat and mouse movie. And uh, a romancy, romancy movie as well. Yes, which when Let's... we get into the 90s is a sexy, uh, sexy yes, movie. Yes, <laughs> it is. Because we also do have a deja vu today. There was a remake of this movie in 1999 uh, that we will be talking about as well. But this original is what we are focusing on, of course, from 1968. Because that's the time we like to do uh, movies from on the, on the main show, isn't it, Janet? It is. It is. It certainly is. It was directed by Norman Jewison. I feel like we've also done a Norman Jewison movie recently. Or on a, on another another thing. I feel like we've done another Norman Jewison movie recently, and now I'm forgetting what that <laughs> could have been. I don't know. Somebody will tell us. I'm now going to have to figure out. <laughs> you just uh, in the heat of the night. In the heat of the night was a Norman Jewison movie. Yes. Lovely. There we go. See, I knew it was. I knew it was secretly. Um, but yes, Janine, Steve McQueen, Faye Dunaway, in uh, the most high class romance you're likely to ever see in the sixties. Yes. Because it's sort of. It's a movie that you kind of only got in the 60s. It's a, you would call it a swinging 60s movie, I suppose. Yeah, baby, yeah. In its style. (laughs) You would, it's literally, you would call it that. And I feel like Steve McQueen is in this particular brand of movie star. 
the the transitional movie star I like to call them, where you go from your your Jimmy Stewarts and your Cary Grants and your you know your your Henry Fonders and that kind of thing, your Bogarts. Um, and but you're not quite at your De Niro's and your Pacino's no. yet. No, but is... you're in you're in your Clint Eastwood, Sean Connery, Steve McQueen era, where people hold on to the suaveness of the older movie stars, but have the grit and violence of the. 70s movie stars and Steve McQueen obviously a 70s movie star as well but really became big in the 60s with Eastwood and Connery and people like that as well that are in that one particular breed of movie star yes I like that analysis and definitely in that era of kind of man of action where they don't really say a lot they no. don't really have to emote a lot they just have to show up look cool do whatever kind of little maybe action that there may be and uh you know just that's it <laughs> like pretty much if, pretty you, if much. you really think about it like steve mcqueen didn't really have a lot of like dialogue to do no. he just kind of had to just look cool Exactly. For the most of this movie. <laughs> but to be fair, Steve McQueen's very good at looking cool, he generally. He is. He's very good at that. Especially 60s cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, there there's certain situations where I can imagine Steve McQueen wearing clothes that we saw in the black exploitation movies that we were oh, yeah. doing in the early sev- uh, you know, the early seventies that the we The turtlenecks. Doing, last, the, the turtlenecks. The flared pants, the fancy boots. Yes, I could see Steve McQueen, you know, maybe a gun holster, like I could see it all. Exactly. Like it goes a shoulder with the holster. Era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes with the era, definitely. I do think Steve McQueen is kind of the coolest of the of the of this breed of movie star though i suppose you could almost put gene hackman in, in this well. type mm-hmm. as well um as a, as another sort of major name um but i think stephen queen's definitely the coolest i mean it's either him or clint eastwood i f- feel like sean connery is a little too actiony to yeah. be cool if that makes sense because yeah. sean connery likes fighting a lot and obviously and obviously i know he's james bond and james bond's obviously the coolest of cool yes but when you look at sean connery's james bond he's very brutish and kind of intimidating yes um, but yeah i mean i do think he's he kind of does fit the vein just with the suaveness and not really yeah, having he's very not suave. really having to say a lot like i mean you don't get these epic monologues from any of these guys in this no, no, era no, no, no. <laughs> it's no. more about a look they give or you know the way how they, they light move. a cigar exactly yes like that. yes it's all about men of action in this era and yeah i really like that kind of analysis of taking that 50s kind of suaveness but those guys were kind of fast talkers and always yeah. had something to say um but they did have that kind of charisma so taking that charisma with the kind of grit and actiony vibes of the 70s it's definitely this kind of this own it's in its own little pocket and yeah. i really loved that that and obviously, when you do, yeah, when you do get to the seventies and you, your new breed of of people, like like I said, sort Makeup. of 
you know, uh, upheld by De Niro and Pacino Ch- and mm-hmm. people like that. They not they're not only gritty, but they're also like really violent and really foul mouthed and really kind of real. Yes. Um, so movies become very, very real in the 70s, obviously, as we've talked about many, many times on this show anyway. Yeah. Movies become very, very real in the 70s. But that's why kind of the late 60s in particular is a really interesting time to talk about because it is that transitional period where so many different things are happening and you're still getting the old way, you're getting some of the new way, and you're getting movies like this that are kind of half and half. Yeah. Where it's got a story and a, a kind of... It's almost It's a... I'd say a story style and uh, an acting style that's kind of old Hollywood, but then a filmmaking style that's very new wave. Yeah. Because the... I don't even want to know the amount of split screen that was used oh, yes, towards right? the beginning <laughs> of this movie. It's You've got to like split screen, I think, to like this movie. If you don't like split screen, then... And you need to kind of focus on one thing at a time, then yeah. You're screwed. It's probably, <laughs> yeah, not for you. There's all sorts going on at every such time. It's like looking at a comic book. Yes. I mean, I liked that. Did you? I liked I liked it. that stylistic choice because that's kind of what his heists are about. And that's kind of what you get out of the character is um, that, you know, he's kind of an unseen. Uh, that's like the brilliance of him as a, you know, con man is, yeah. you know, being unseen. So to kind of get the picture of the breakdown of what's going to happen and how this, you know, heist is going to go down, I think, um, they needed to figure out a creative way to show the different elements and points since there were so many, because had they like gone step by step like that, I think it would have been too formulaic or too um, uninteresting. Yeah. So I like that they tried to devise a way to feed you that information, but in an interesting way, in an artistic way. Yeah. And it does that. And it yeah. does it pretty, pretty successfully. And again, it's just kind of another way of this movie ramming it down your face that it's trying to be cool yes this this movie's cool realize that realize that it's cool we get it we get it movie you're very very cool i mean when he's flying on his glider i mean he's just in his in his sunglasses and you've got the the song playing the the windmills of your mind it's a bit of a sappy sappy song isn't it to be fair yes it did win the Academy Award for Best Original Song, it however, did. for this movie. So, And then I did hear the end credits of the new one. I believe it was a Sting version. Oh, yeah. Sting singing that song. I was like, this song sounds... Oh, it's that Devil Windmill song, but they try to make it all like smooth, jazzy sounding. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't imagine Sting singing that because Sting never pronounces any words when he sings. Yeah, I think it is so, Sting. I think so it's surely, Sting singing it. No, I think it is, but yeah. um, surely it's just like... Yeah, it does sound like that. And it's like, they try to make it all like very smooth and like, you know, jazzy sounding. I like, like I like Sting as a music artist, sure, but most of the time you can't tell what he's saying. Yes. So. Really, that's just but I don't a fact. think you want to hear these 
weird lyrics to this windmill song. And it is a but, weird uh, song. <laughs> right? It's a really weird song. Um, it's the like first it time is... I've seen this movie. It's the, it's the first time I've seen this movie. I never realized it was actually from this movie. Um, <laughs> I don't really or, see or, that. You know, You've heard that song before? You just didn't I've heard know. that song before. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've heard that song before many, many times. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I don't know in what capacity. I feel like it's been on advertisements on the television. Okay. Or something like that in the background. Um, you know, just as soundtrack. But I never realised it was actually from this movie until yeah. watching it for this uh, for this show, obviously. And it's an Oscar-winning song. And it's well, an Oscar-winning song, apparently. Well, um, shit. <laughs> it is a it is a strange yes. song, though. And I don't think it fits with the whole cool vibe of everything else. It's very kind of like folky and no, it <laughs> d- doesn't really, does it? No. It's unusual. You wouldn't kind of expect a song like this featured because it's the opening credit song yes. as well. Yes. And you feel like you're getting a certain vibe of the movie, but then the movie turns, like I said, into like a swinging 60s American version of the Italian job. Yeah. Um, kind of movie. So it's really, it's really, really unusual. But you do get it playing again when he's flying on his glider. glider like showing off, yeah, for a lady. The, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's flying on his glider. He's showing off for Faye Dunaway, and he's all, he, but I suppose in that time in the movie you've got to think he's kind of in between two minds so you get you've got this kind of song weird folksy melancholy kind of thought provoking song song. about windmills in your mind about yeah about your mind turning up and down (laughs) yes um which i suppose is quite poignant in a way Yes. But also you have to listen. You have to listen to the sappy, sappy song. Yes. It just doesn't feel like it fits. But yeah, I was not a fan of that windmills in your mind. (laughs) If you want to, if you want to, if you want some good folk music in, in, in the soundtrack of your movies, just watch The Wicker Man. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, those songs make no sense. And it's more fitting to what's actually happening. (laughs) It is. It's way more fitting to what's happening. Um, it's unusual. So how did? Yes. <laughs> I like windmills. Look, sure, windmill. You know, my two favorite buildings: windmills, windmills and, light and lighthouses. Houses. Yes, yes. <laughs> really like and castles, <laughs> um, as well. Three favorite buildings: windmills, lighthouses, and castles. But windmills in your mind, um, like the circles that you find on the chaos that unwinds when you drink some sparkling white wine or whatever nonsense yeah whatever it's <laughs> so we did touch a little bit on the opening heist how did you feel about it like as a movie I heist it. i thought like it was the plan really... the execution yeah. i mean once i you know i kind of knew this was a heist movie um you expect certain things when it comes to a heist movie you expect um most of the movie to be planning the heist. Whereas the plan of the heist took about five minutes. Yeah, like we just get it right off the bat. Like you see him hiring a guy and being very kind of like he uses something that changes his voice. He makes sure there's a bright light so he can't be seen. He, you know, throws this guy some money and says, hey, this is your part of the job. This is what you're going to do. Um, 
And so you just kind of have to assume that that's how he hired all the guys for this job. Yeah. He doesn't know them. They don't know him. And he just gives them a cut and they just do, you know, what the only reason they know each other is because they're all dressed similarly. Yes. That's how they know. Oh, hey, you're part of this plan. Yeah. So it's Uh, what is it? Boston Municipal Bank. Yes. They're robbing. Yes. Um, now, why Steve McQueen needs to rob this bank, I don't know, because he's clearly a very successful person. He's just doing it for the fun of it. Yeah, because you see, you know, after this heist, then you kind of see him in business mode, like selling off a piece of his company for a, yeah. a, a crazy amount of money. You see him with his lavish home and servant, butler, and, you know, drinking fancy drinks and just laughing to himself. Like, I love that, you know, that whole scene after the heist happens. And there is a lot of kind of suspense and tension built up in that scene, which is, there a, is. a big part of why I love kind of heist movies, because you don't know if they're going to get away with it. They're always so close to getting caught in that whole kind of situation where the driver that we meet at the beginning of the movie, like, you know, there's kind of a traffic jam and he gets stopped and like cops are kind of about to go by his car. And so you're like, oh my gosh, are they going to see all these bags of money in the back? And, you know, so I like all that kind of tension and build up. Um, but then, yeah, when you see him, you know, you don't know why he's doing this, but then you see him like a successful businessman of this giant home. And yeah. then when he like opens his bar and he just, you know, cheers to himself in the mirror and then just starts laughing to himself. Then you realize he's just doing this for the fun, for the adrenaline rush of getting away with it, just for the fun of the heist, just to see if he can do it. It's one of those perfect crime situations, isn't it? Like, ooh, I've committed the perfect crime and I'm going to show it off, but secretly to the rest of the world. Yes. That's exactly what's going on here. Um, My favorite movie of that of course, is Rope. Um, Hitchcock's Rope with oh, Jimmy yeah. Stewart and Farley Granger and John Dahl. Yes. Um, that's just the best perfect crime movie, um, I think, because it's the most show offy perfect yeah, crime movie. Doing it just to see if they can do it and get away with it. And yeah, just that whole Hosting a party. Of, yes. On the table where you. Put your the body, murder victim yeah. yes. is pretty impressive, really. Yes. Um, but likewise, Steve McQueen as multi-millionaire Thomas Crown. Yes. Pulling off a bank heist so confidently, so intelligently, like he, like we see him do at the start of this movie, without anybody ever knowing he was behind it without the people committing it knowing he was behind yeah. it, despite the fact he's spoken to them, but they didn't know it was him. It was him. him, yeah. And they don't know each other, apart from the fact that they're all wearing sunglasses and hats. Yes. It's... You can see why Faye Dunaway keeps saying, oh, he's good, or other things to that lightness <laughs> throughout the rest of the movie. Yes. Because she is the, uh, she's she's the expert that's brought in to try and solve what the hell's gone on with this robbery. Yes. How has it happened? She's like because, an insurance person who's like yeah. in charge of this bank or whatever, and is is tasked to figure out like yeah what is happening. 
with uh, trying to help the yeah, police detectives yeah. because they're obviously clueless, yes. which is always quite funny, isn't it? Really, <laughs> when that kind of stuff happens, I quite I quite liked that in the uh, in in the nineteen ninety nine version actually because the the police people was uh, Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary, yes, <laughs> who looks like. I've always thought Dennis Leary's got a really weird face. Um, <laughs> do you not think Dennis Leary's got a really weird face? I mean, yeah. That just reminds me of something he said about um, The Amazing Spider-Man. Like, he when he got the role as, like, the captain, as, you know, Gwen, Captain Stacy. Uh, yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, I thought they hired me because they thought I was a great actor and this and that. But then I just saw a picture of Captain Stacy from the comic book, and I just looked like that. And that's the only reason they cast <laughs> me. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so when you talk about his face i just think of him telling that story about how he thought you know they hired him for the job because he thought he was a great actor but then when he just saw a comic book picture of what captain stacy looked like he realized that's the only reason they hired him because he looks just like that <laughs> we're all perfectly aware that dennis leary's best role <laughs> is of diego in the ice age movies oh my gosh it is a hundred percent dennis leary's best film role I mean, well, wait till I make you watch Demolition Man, and then you'll see. Mm, <laughs> he gives I a pretty. He gives Diego. a pretty. He gives a pretty decent monologue in a pretty mm, strong. He gives a pretty Diego. strong monologue in Demolition Man. So don't say that until you've seen Demolition Man. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what did you think of Faye Dunaway? Ah, uh, she was great. Um, she kind of played lots of angles and lots of sides like uh definitely like you felt like she was kind of one-upping him in ways but then you also felt a vulnerability from her she's good at that yes very good at this type of character she was very kind of sassy she had to kind of play off that she was like developing feelings to the cops so she could look like she was competent at her job so she kind of had to cover so many bases of emotions towards the cops towards him with herself um and she did amazing like i thought she was really great um because i mean she could have just kind of played it one way and felt very one-dimensional like just a woman who you know falls into a man's bed and it just becomes incompetent at her job but you know she was still trying to be capable at her job while realizing that there were feelings there so i think she hit that balance really well to not just be this trope of, oh, yeah, you know, as soon as a hot man comes around, she just becomes a dumb woman who can't do her job. She still does her job. Like, she still tries to, like, turn him in. You know, she still is giving that information to the police. She's not, like, hiding things from them because she's starting to develop feelings. Um, and just, like, her own conflict of feeling feelings for him when she knows she has this job to do and wanting to, you know, get make a deal with him or, you know, make it so that she can have both. Um, so yeah, she covers all those bases really brilliantly, I think. She and Steve McQueen are very much equals in this movie. Yes. And I like that. From from the case of the both incredibly intelligent, but are both very conflicted because they both have feelings for one another, despite the fact that uh, it's Faye Dunaway is supposed to be. <laughs> trying to convict him really yes <laughs> um even though she doesn't necessarily know that it was him yes but i do and i do i liked that kind of whole 
once we get more into deja vu like comparing the seduction scenes i i definitely prefer the faye dunaway seduction scene where because you know the whole thing is this whole cat and mouse game this whole back and forth this trying to like uh you know get the better of each other one up each other type situation so i think the perfect illustration of that in any movie is always a good game of chess like you know and just how they interact how they look at each other and things like that so when they're playing chess but also you add that element of seduction that just kind of signals to you that she's using that seduction as her moves in this like you know metaphorical chess game with him so you know you see her biting her lip and like gracing his hand and like you know touching her arm and like you know all of that happening while they're playing this game of chess to kind of seduce him so that she can get you know the information she needs or figure out if he's really the one they're looking for and you know and while this all happening while they're playing chess is just a great metaphor and balance to kind of uh give you cues to telling the story so i thought that whole seduction scene was really smart as opposed to like the newer one which i liked a lot in the newer one but yeah this seduction scene and Faye Dunaway's kind of performance there. Um, definitely uh, a lot better, I think. It might seem a little on the nose to be playing a game of chess <laughs> during a movie that is a game of chess. <laughs> yes. You know? But it worked. But it does work. It does work. And look, that kind of stuff works in, you know, works in this movie and it worked in something like the seventh seal as well which is the 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 ingmar bergman movie where max von cedo plays a game of chess with death because he's questioning death and he's questioning all his philosophy and all that kind of stuff yeah. so he's playing a game of chess with the actual grim reaper throughout okay. this movie okay so it might see you know it's a metaphor and it's a popular metaphor for a reason or even whereby like an now, x-men <laughs> even like an x-men exactly right but you know by now it might seem a cliche. touch on the nose but yeah. there's a reason some things are cliche sometimes and it's just flat out because they work yes and this works this because works. yes that... while they're playing she's doing these things to kind of seduce him and i think that adds to yeah exactly. it gives it it gives it another level of depth that wouldn't probably be there had they just been sitting there playing chess, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It works very, very well. And I love the chemistry between the two of them a lot. Yeah. I think they've got really, really a good back and forth. Um, I mean, I think I was kind of more entertained by this movie in the first half of it. Yeah. Than I was maybe in the second half of it. Um, you know, we get the heist and we get the initial sort of um, trying to find out the initial seduction and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then from then on, it almost turns into a totally different type of movie. <laughs> it's like a French love montage. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, li- well, it, <laughs> a little bit. Maybe, maybe because I thought I was in for a cat and mouse detective heist movie. Yes. And ended up with a very, you know, heavy romance movie that I just thought, this is a... I mean, it worked. It was... It flowed well. It didn't 
seem jarring at all. But I would have almost preferred if the detective element of it had have lasted a little bit longer. Yes, where it was her really just trying to use him for information and like, you know, figure out what was going on with him. But then it was like almost like she just kind of fell into a relationship with him. And while, yes, she was still kind of talking to the cops and stuff, she mostly just focused on them as a couple and them kind of just hanging out together and doing fun things together for like a yeah. good chunk of the film and you kind Which of is nice yes sure, it's nice because it you shows, need that yeah you do and it shows a good relationship between them and it's exactly you know the 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 idea of the movie but i can't say that i don't think that it should have been a case of Faye Dunaway being conflicted about breaking away from the police to be with him rather than Faye Dunaway being conflicted about breaking away from him to carry on with the police. Yes. (laughs) I would have rather it be the other way Way around. around. Because again, doesn't that make the romance then a little bit more dangerous and a little bit more kind of fun and, you know... The kind of stuff I think that the romance was probably trying to go for anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. But I'm not to say that I didn't like the the it, it romance just, story of the movie. It just movie. wasn't Abs- expected in this kind of how the how the trajectory of the story was going. Just yeah. to have it just kind of be halted a little bit with just focusing purely on the romance. Which, yeah. you know, and I think there were other ways they maybe could have gone about that to still give you that sense of you know um of not urgency but sense of like um like tension and suspense yes uh of like what's she gonna do is she gonna turn him in is she not like that whole kind of thing but you felt you felt pretty balanced on like her still being capable at her job and doing her job while still being in love with him. So that tension wasn't really there of like what she was going to do. So the tension was more on like, what is he going to do? What is Steve McQueen going to do? It was. And you know, what comes with, what comes with that again is obviously Steve McQueen being this man of action type of character, very little words, uh, very little pieces of dialogue. It's all about the way he's moving, the way he's looking, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You feel less sure about what a character like that is going to do than somebody who speaks a lot. Yeah. Because somebody who speaks a lot, you can almost... It's easier to predict what's going to happen. It's, It's more difficult for them to take a 180 turn. Yeah. When it's a silent, you know, they call people silent assassins and all that kind of stuff, (laughs) don't they? But when it's a silent character like that, it's very, very often you'll find them do 180 turns and stuff like that, just back and forth in a movie or in a story of any kind. Yeah. And it's... It's expected in that... It's expected for it to happen, but you're never quite sure when it's going to happen. And that's where the intrigue of that comes from yes and i think that as to the the tension being on his end especially in that scene where like they are in bed together and he's just like kind of for all intents and purposes telling her he's planning another heist and she's like telling him no don't do this 
and he's like she's like what am i supposed to do while you're doing this heist he's like well you're just gonna sit back and let me try and just let me try and then he like kisses her and goes off like nothing like so just chill and badass and like he's still not giving her any details and she's trying to like find out well where where is this happening when is this happening and he's just like super cool about it so you don't know like what his intentions are like he's obviously kind of not giving away too much information to her but he's trusting her enough to like let it be known that yeah he's planning another thing because i think that's part of the you know the the uh, excitement for him yeah and then that kind of puts the question in your mind well does he really care about her or this is just even seducing her and being with her just part of the game for him exactly exactly in that way do you not think characters like this (laughs) and almost this almost the characters that this breed of actors that i talked about at the start play the characters they play do you not think like these are characters that are very very hyper masculine and you know, to a, almost to a dangerous level. <laughs> yes, I would say um, that. <laughs> and that people watching, you know, young men watching these characters and naturally kind of aspiring to be like them is quite dangerous uh, in a way. A little you know, bit. Like, yeah. People like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, when you look at you know, sixties Bond or a Clint Eastwood character from the 60s or early 70s, you know, Dirty Harry, say. Yeah. Like, men would look up to Dirty Harry as an aspiration, but nobody should want to be Dirty <laughs> Harry. You know, nobody nobody should actually... Want to just blow people away with a giant to be, if, if they don't listen to you. <laughs> nobody should actually want the life James Bond has, especially in the 60s. But we all kind of do in a weird way because, oh, he's like the most absolute manly man ever. I want to be the most manly man ever. I want to be like him. And that's what Steve McQueen's like as well. I think Steve McQueen's tends to be a little more, a little less... um, of an issue on that front. I don't yeah. know why. I've just thought of this as a as an issue that came into my mind. Steve McQueen, for me, feels like slightly less of an issue because I feel like he tends to be a more everyman and almost heroic actor. Uh, yeah. You look at something like The Great Escape or something like, you know, it's very, yes, it's kind of a, a, a man's man kind of movie. Sure. But it's an underdog movie, and it's a kind of yeah. We'll all root for this guy. Yeah, guy, you always, the, you're the always kind of guy. rooting for. He does it in a way to where you're always still kind of rooting for him a little bit. Yeah, I don't think Sean Connery's ever played an underdog, or Clint Eastwood has ever played an underdog. I think they've always played the tough guy, the, the main top, guy, the, top the one dog. that everyone wants to be. Yeah. You know, Steve McQueen has played underdogs. And maybe doesn't in this movie at all. This is like top dog of top dog. Yes. To go along with James Bond and people who physically never do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, 
but he has done that. And that's why that's why Steve McQueen and his absurdly blonde hair gets a a little bit more of a pass on that front for me, I think. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird piece of analysis I think I've just come up with. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I don't know how you view characters like that, though. Because obviously I'm looking at it as a, a man looking at hyper-masculine characters. Does that, does that register for you? Um, I think it depends. Like, if they do have some kind of redeeming or, like, human quality that's, like, real and feels like, you know, I can get behind this person because I can relate to them on a personal level. Um then I can enjoy that other stuff and see it as an attractive trait, like them being very suave and debonair and like men of action. And, you know, I can get behind those other traits, but when it's just nothing but that, like, like a Sean Connery, James Bond. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it is, it's just way too hyper masculine. It's too much. And it's not super attractive to me at all. Like, you know, cause it's, I don't really, The constant jokes with Sean Connery's James Bond, you know, these days. I mean, look, I still like Sean Connery's James Bond. I will always like Sean Connery's James Bond, but I will always make jokes and really question the rampant sexism of Sean Connery's James Bond. Like, I don't because it's just it's to a point where it becomes absurd. Yes, like I don't root for that character because. I can relate to him or he has a redeemable quality. I root for him because he's supposed to be the good guy and he's better than the the bad people in the yeah. movie. You so... root for him because he's quippy and because he's kind of very intelligent in the way he's dealing with situations. You don't root for him because he's slapping somebody Throw on the backside. Telling her, okay, run along. The men are talking like that. Exactly. Um, but like like a Daniel Craig James Bond, more they human, do more human. So I can I can uh, be attracted by the suaveness and the the womanizing, like hey ladies, and I can you know how he his demeanor is with women and how you know tough he is in the action. Um, but I can also sympathize with him because they've made him more human, and I can relate to him, and I can root for him on a human level, not just of. The movie's telling me you're the protagonist, so that's the reason I'm rooting for you. Yeah. Like, I'm rooting for you because there's something to connect to with you. But yeah, I think a lot of these characters that that you're talking about in this 60s vein of time, yeah, it was all kind of... It seems there was, to be yeah, unusual. <laughs> there, there's no human kind of qualities there. You know, it's all just this i might have to i might have to look in <laughs> silent I might, type show yeah, i might have to look in a little bit more as to why this kind of character type came about particularly in the 60s because yeah. i have ideas but like i'm not what was willing happening to kind exactly of what was happening to make society want to see of, that yeah um, or maybe it was maybe it was society wanting to see it, or maybe it was Hollywood wanting society to see it. There's so much you can get into, mm-hmm. but it requires a little more 
studying almost, and that's something I like to do sometimes, yeah. is to go, obviously, I love going back and seeing the 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 context movies were made in and how movies are influenced by the, the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why one of my honest-to-God favourite ever episodes of this show that we've done, and still one of my favourite movies I've discovered from from doing this show was M. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. With Fritz Lang, Peter Lorre. Yeah. Just not only just an outstanding movie, but said so much about the world, world it was made society. in. society, yeah. Um, which is, a, you know, a, I, love, I love that kind of stuff. I love that kind of stuff. That's why I like horror so much, because horror always reflects the fears of the time it came out. Yeah. Always. Good horror always does that. Yeah. Why do you think there's so much kind of horror of change and horror of going away from comfort like and the race and race <laughs> horror and that kind of stuff yeah. today it's because Societal those horror. are the main those fears. are the scariest things yeah those are the scariest things to us living in the late 2010s and into yeah. the early 20s you know mm-hmm. that's why that's why it's it's always a fascinating topic for me so I'd like to have a little bit more of a look into that and just to see why where where the hyper masculine person came came from, from why what was happening in the world at that time to Cause I have, suppose have the studios think we need to put this out there yeah. you did you did get characters like this I suppose you look at westerns and that kind of yeah. stuff obviously hyper masculine war movies tend to have very hyper masculine kind mm-hmm. of characters as well maybe it's just a case of Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's you just know, a phasing case. Out, you're phasing out westerns, so you need to kind of put those characters in other genres or bring them back Possibly. in a certain way. Possibly, yeah. because the western did change hugely. The popular western changed massively in the 60s. Yeah. Um, so maybe it is that. Maybe, it's, maybe that's a, an element to it, absolutely. Or maybe it's just the fact that People were kind of down on themselves in the 60s. Obviously, mm-hmm. there was a lot of social change, especially in the US, obviously, in the 60s. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, protests and that kind of thing. A lot of dis... Um, a lot of uh, discontent mm-hmm. and kind of mistrust of governments and that kind of thing. So maybe to have a perfect man that men looked up to felt necessary felt comfortable felt felt comfortable for a lot of men Mm -hmm. maybe felt comfortable for a lot of and i know i'm speaking about men in this but i think that's really who it was for to be honest with you um you know to have a figure like james bond or you know something like that or, or thomas crown yeah. To to look up to to look up to to aspire to be when nobody in the real world was that. Yeah. It's just almost like a a, a, a mythical being, almost that isn't quite you know we're not quite at the level of superheroes in movies yet. 
Yeah. We're not <laughs> quite at, you know, Superman 78 yet to look at otherworldly beings kind of heroes, to look yeah. up to. So maybe it's got something to do with that. Maybe, maybe. it's got something to do with that. It's obviously, looking into. Very interesting. Um, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the 60s in the US. Yeah. A lot of good stuff, a lot of bad stuff, a lot yeah. of vital, important stuff. I think it's the most... I mean, the, look, the whole 20th century and into the 21st century has been nothing but chaos for the USA. Yeah. And most of the world. Um, but the 60s stands out, doesn't it? It always stands out as a decade of craziness. Yes. On all fronts <laughs> in the US. Um, so maybe it's just something to do with that. I'd like to think it's something to do with that. That's what makes more sense to me right now, anyway. Yeah. Definitely worth uh, looking into, I think. Very interesting uh, run of thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I know. I know. I went on a little bit of a train of thought there. I do apologise, <laughs> no, Janine. No. Would you like? Well, firstly, do you have anything more you want to say about the original Thomas Crown affair? Um, yeah, I hadn't seen it before either. Uh, kind of was expecting just a straightforward, um, kind of cat and mouse heist movie. Um, I kind of had seen bits and pieces of the new one or I had seen it, but just long ago, but I didn't really remember details. So I knew that there was probably going to be this man woman type of, you know, JLo George Clooney out of sight type <laughs> of situation happening, but I wasn't sure how that was all going to play out. Um, or if it was going to be like a chase the whole movie through. So um, I was intrigued at the take. It, it took some turns that I wasn't expecting. So I liked that it kind of, subverted my expectations in that way um but definitely like a good heist movie great characters um the fact that like you can have characters that aren't you know saying a lot but mm -hmm. they you know they're performing with how they look at things and how they act and um you know i appreciate that uh it's definitely speaks to its time uh and i was i was entertained watching this movie for sure so you know who I did I haven't like. seen a lot of Steve McQueen and myself, so... No. Yeah, definitely enjoyed this movie. You know who I did like who I spotted in this movie? Who? Yafet Koto from Alien. And oh, yes! Yes! He, he mm -hmm. played one of the heist gang members. Yes. I like Yafet Koto. <laughs> he's not in enough things... But then he's always nice when you do see him as some sort of bit part in something. Yes, and <laughs> also he tends, the... Uh, <laughs> he tends to do that. The getaway driver, I just was like, hey, that's like the Kellerman's guy from Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> With his oh, little okay. lisp, you know, yeah. bossing people around. <laughs> good, good stuff. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we have... Your famous segment to come, I think, oh, now. Oh, famous. It's famous now, huh? Which is, of course, deja vu, deja vu, deja vu, deja vu. Yay. Speaking of segments, when the hell was the last time anybody was inducted into the Mustache Hall of Fame? I know. I don't think we had any good mustaches. We've not had any good mustaches for a hot ages. minute. Do you know what, Janine? Do you, you talk about your deja vu? I'm going to have a look at the list of the Mustache Hall of Fame and just okay. see who the last person was. Oh, dang. Okay. Um, so, yeah, usually with these deja vus, like, we tend to get more 
depth and detail added into the new movie um, to explain things that we saw in the first movie, which sometimes it works and sometimes it's just too much extra crap that we didn't need. But I feel like in the original Thomas Crown, we actually got more detail into the inner workings of, you know, Thomas Crown's heists than we did in this new one. Because in the first one, it's seemingly like you don't see how he put these guys together. You don't see that they like don't really know him. You've that stuff you find out later. Um, But in the original one, like you kind of saw how his whole kind of how his hiring process works. So I liked that we got that in the original. So I kind of wish we maybe would have gotten that, but I feel like, I don't know if they feel like, Oh, well, it's a remake. They should know how this works if they watch the, the original movie. Um, and I think they, you know, wanted to force this like little cameo from Faye Dunaway they did. in this movie. They did. So they made her, you know, Pierce Brosnan's, uh, you know, Thomas Crown's therapist. Um, so, I mean, it was fun to see her after just watching the other movie and seeing it her. Was. And she, of course, looked amazing. So I'm like, okay, Faye. Oh, oh. Yeah, 30 but, years later, <laughs> she didn't look too much different. No, she looked great. Um, so, yeah, I, I wish we would have got a little bit more about, like, how he kind of puts his heist together. Um, but definitely a very smooth, flashier kind of uh, look at how they ran the heist, you yeah. know you see the guy is kind of breaking out of the statue and, you know, putting everything in motion. And there is a little bit of tension there in like, are they going to execute this plan? Um, And then I feel like I only kind of put the things together because I had seen the first movie. I feel like had I just watched this one, it would have been more like I would have been scratching my head a little bit about how, you know, he was connected to the heist in the first place and things like that. Whereas the original made it way more clear. That's true. It did. It definitely did. Um, But again, you could put that down to Pierce Brosnan's Thomas Crown as just being even more clever. Um, In a way where you really don't see, or or at least because it's John McTiernan actually that directed that the movie, new, yeah, uh, the '99 version, and maybe it's just John McTiernan wanting Thomas Crown to look even more innocent, because um, that's kind of a whole thing as well. Yeah, um, I like how I like how it's changed from a bank to an art museum, and he's an yes. art thief. Yes, that's what I, I was expecting in the in the original one. You know, like this whole okay. art thing, because I knew this movie a little bit better, so I was like. Because I always find art thieves fascinating. Yeah. Because if you're an art thief, you are really doing it just because you love art. Yeah. And just because you want to do it. You're not doing it because you're not going to sell the art because you can't sell the art because you'll get caught. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you're just keeping it because you really happen to love priceless art. Yeah. So it's always fascinating to me and I like that. But... It's you, It goes along the similar uh, kind of vibe. Pierce Brosnan goes back home, unveils the Monet painting that he's stolen, yeah. and just laughs to himself with a drink. Yes. So it's nice in that way. I did I did check the, uh, the Mustache Hall of Fame list, by the way. Okay. Grandpa Joe himself, Jack Albertson, was the last inductee for the Poseidon Fighting Adventure. Adventure. Oh, my gosh, that felt so long ago. I was like, oh. Which was... <laughs> 11 episodes ago. Okay, we're going to have to, like, 
hope that there's the mustaches in uh... Get on with these mustaches. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we, we don't accept beards. No, it has to be just we straight up. We don't accept beards. So <laughs> I know, obviously, um, me and Nolan have been doing the samurai movies. And yes, Toshiro Mifune has facial hair and a very nice facial hair at that. A full beard, though. He tends to sport not just a mustache. Yes, I can't imagine a samurai that just has a mustache. Just has a mustache, no. <laughs> it would look a little... No, not at all. Um, but then, yeah, there's... Well, I mean, there's they have those epic Fu Manchu mustaches, but there's also more facial hair in other The Fu places. Manchu. If you Don't bring Fu Manchu into this disc. Fu Manchu <laughs> is also a Chinese character. <laughs> and uh, a whitewashed, horrendous racist one at that who has been played obviously by both Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> in pure yellow face. Well, I'm just talking about like Kill Bill Volume 2. <laughs> that kind oh, of Oh, Pi May. Yes. Pi May's glorious <laughs> yes. face. Yes, that's yes. true. I, I, I do like that. I do <laughs> Where like he just that. has to like he whips it away. Ah, it's my <laughs> I love thing. that. <laughs> It's, it looks like the softest beard ever. And he's just whipping it away. Like, that's what I was thinking of, you know. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Sure, I don't know why we've gotten to this. I like Fu Manchu's <laughs> moustache. Fu Manchu's moustache is, is a fine moustache. I'm just saying the character itself of Fu Manchu is, yes, is awful. I was only referring to the moustache. <laughs> the length of it. Um, the it's flow just, it's of just, it, yes. It's just that one tiny layer below Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, in terms that's, of that's painful. <laughs> horrific Asian racism. Yes. <laughs> that's all. Um, anyway, anyway. Uh, so Deja Vu, Thomas Crown Affair, 1999. I thought it was a very, very watchable movie. I really liked this movie. One of mo- the more recent, most favourite Deja Vu's, to be yes, honest with you. because usually the remake is terrible. <laughs> I can remember, what was it recently? Where we seem to really like the remake more than the original as well. I know we, we did The Nutty Professor not that long ago. Yes. Where obviously, that was the case. Uh, I think the last one we did before that was, what, Manchurian Candidate? Manchurian Candidate, you know, Manchurian Candidate remake was poor in comparison yeah, to, to, the... to the original. The original was excellent. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think now. What what was... What what am I thinking of? What what was the last movie we... Now that Nolan's back on, I get really confused <laughs> yeah, as to what movies we've done. <laughs> Um, uh, but... We did. I mean, in the heat of the night, in the heat of the night, didn't have a remake. No, no that wasn't. That wasn't. That wasn't a thing. No, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. I don't. I don't know what it was at all. To be honest with you, my, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm losing my mind. Um, the nutty professor. Uh, but no, this it was a really I really liked this remake. I, 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 it may be the one of the very very few times I've actually quite liked Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't like Pierce Brosnan's James Bond. To be honest with you, okay. I don't really like Brosnan Bond. Um, but I actually quite liked Pierce Brosnan in this movie. And I think they did give him the suaveness, but. Pierce Brosnan always seems to be able to 
still convey a bit of like humanity um and then they did kind of add a lot more like this one had a happy ending i don't think we talked about the sad ending of the original no it was it was very um you know the heist and the rush of the heist in the original was just more important to thomas crown so you know uh faye dunaway is doing her job and she like tells the police where he's going to be in the meetup spot for the heist and all this whole situation um and he's not there he's just taken off you know and i <laughs> mean he's kind of done what he wants to do hasn't he yes. which is again is this kind of um i'm my own person i'm you know i'm my own man i'm doing whatever i want to do and i will always get away with it i'm thomas crown and she's she is left like crying feeling heartbroken and he's he's on a plane getting away and smiling to himself and like yeah like there's no remorse there he just smiles to himself and that's how it ends whereas this one you get a bit more of a like happy romantic ending Um, we're actually supposed to feel in that the ending of the original one, we're supposed to feel like, yeah, Thomas Crown. It's like, <laughs> really, we're That's all so thinking, oh, God, this is awful for Faye, don't we? Yes, and he's just smiling. Like, even if, like, you gave some conflict in his mind where, like, you know, he didn't want to do it, but it was, yeah. he, he had to. But no, he just, like, smiling to himself, like, I got away with another one. Bing! And like <laughs> says this Check smile, that off my list. and then the credits roll, and it's like, oh, like I, I'm okay with an ending not being happy or not being perfect, or you know, but yeah, that just felt a little too like, ugh, harsh. You know? it was, wasn't it? It was very harsh, like sick burn right there. So, um, so I did appreciate kind of the happy ending of the other one, but I was hoping that they would just kind of improve on the not so perfect ending of the first one and just still have a yeah. maybe not end up together, still maybe have this cat and mouse chase, still get a hint that maybe that there was a real actual love there, but maybe not end up together and him still getting away with whatever he was going to get away with. So I like, I would have l- liked something like that. And I was kind of expecting something like that, but um, just kind of like the little cutesy ending was like a little too, uh, yeah. you know, for the buildup of this kind it of was. cat and mouse chase. Um, yeah, I wasn't too into that. Like I liked, like had it been like, cause you know, there's a scene where they're talking and she, he asks her like any one of these paintings in this room, which one would you steal? And she points to the painting that she would steal. And then at the end, that's the painting he steals. So then yeah. she knows that it's about her. And so I would have liked that he took it so she would know that, like, okay, there was a part of him that did care about her, but he's still going to go do his own thing. So I would have liked that as opposed to this cheesy kind of, like, we end up together, la-di-di-da-da, we're in love. Almost neither of them have the ending we really want. No. (laughs) Which is unusual, really. Um, In comparing the two leads... I think P.S. Brosnan and Steve McQueen are unbelievably different versions <laughs> of Thomas Crown. Yes. That comparing tends to be difficult, at least for me. But I think Rene Russo really has nothing on Faye Dunaway. No. Unfortunately. And I like Rene Russo just fine. And generally, in many, many things. But Faye Dunaway is on a little bit of another level, I'm afraid. Yeah. 
and like I talked about the kind of seduction scene where they're playing chess and she's like doing these little subtle things to try to get, you know, his attention, which, you know, is, is also relatable as a woman. Like, you know, you're going to do little things if you like a guy or you're trying to like, you know, get him to notice, you know, or, or put out there that, you know, yeah, this is what have I want. Have you ever done that while playing chess, um, Janine? No, I have not. I have not. <laughs> um, I haven't had the opportunity. But, you know. <laughs> um, not while playing chess. No, not while playing chess. Not in your younger years. <laughs> not in my younger years, no. <laughs> Sadly, no. Um, so it was relatable in that sense of this this whole kind of seduction scene. But this, like, weird dance in her, like, nudie dress was just, like... Uh, it was just awkward. And, like, I mean, there's I, a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of sexiness in this movie yes. as well. It, it <laughs> took the romancy romancy from the original and just made it absolute animal lust. Yes, which it felt a little too much. Like I'm a no, little bit. I'm it? no I mean, prude. I'm no prude, but it just no. didn't. It, it just felt a little bit awkward to me. Like they do this whole dance on the dance floor, and you can like see her boobs through her dress. You can see her ass through her dress, and he's like watching her shake around, and the dancing is just kind of awkward too. And like Pierce Brosnan trying to be all like ha ah, yeah, ha, like that was just <laughs> you know, uh, it was all a little bit cheese balls and a little bit awkward to me um a little bit yeah so some of the sexy moments okay i could get behind but then uh, some others were just a little bit awkward i mean there was one scene where it was a huge montage of incredibly lustful (laughs) behavior like no one is gonna do it on their marble stairs like that's what i was exactly about (laughs) to say it would be horrifically painful yes for everyone involved. Yes. They were trying to do it never, on these stairs. Yeah, never no. would that ever... I mean, I can only imagine how much pain Rene Russo must have been right? in after that scene. Yes. Because they are actual marble <laughs> stairs. And you are draped across them. Yes. With P.S. Brosnan doing situations <laughs> on top of you yes so you know. yeah i just was looking at that like that is not comfortable so no comfort means like no sexy so like just just stop just go find a bed or you know a nice a rug couch. or something yes because yes uh, it was just uh, anyth- a lot <laughs> anything soft really yeah would be better than a marble staircase yeah it, w- it was just a lot um so they played up the sexy stuff and like there was even a whole scene like a swordfish scene where like Rene Russo's just sitting in a chair topless in a hat like and you That's see her true, boobs yeah. like you know like okay little unnecessary <laughs> like I always say don't I I'm, you've you said it as well before no prude no prude here I'm no prude but movie earn your nude scenes yeah. And to be fair, the big sexy montage. Yeah, that's okay. Right. Makes sense. But that 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 one particular okay, what why are you sat <laughs> topless for no good reason at all? Yeah. Pointless. Absolutely pointless. <laughs> no need for it. Unnecessary. Yeah. Unnecessary. Makes sense when you are lusting after each other. To have a whole montage of nudity and 
fun times, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. We're all about that. That's fine. But not in random instances that make no <laughs> sense exactly. in relation to anything that's going on. Yeah. This isn't so... real life. Now in, now, in real life, maybe, okay, that sort of stuff happens when you're just with somebody else and you're just kind of, okay, let's just not bother today. Yeah, yeah, she was just all set up with her little hats and then her little, you know, beach chair, you know. But this like. is a movie. <laughs> yeah. This is a movie. And movies aren't real life. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. I don't know whose decision that was. I blame John McTiernan. <laughs> I don't really. I don't so, know. yeah. I mean, the sexy stuff felt like, you know, the seduction scene in the original felt earned. It felt like it had a purpose. It felt like it was trying to illustrate some things about these characters and, you know, where the relationship was going to go and what that was going to mean later on in the movie about, you know, feelings and whatnot. Um, yeah. And just a very smart um, illustration of the whole game that they were playing. Um, this sex scene just was just, you know, that that lead up of the flirty dance was what kind of started the whole sexy time was just, yeah. it just felt awkward. It felt, it didn't feel earned. It didn't make me, you know, enjoy their chemistry. Like it was just, a weird introduction to the whole love kind of plot of the film. But I did like that added thing of, you know, there's a similar scene where um, the cops are kind of, they're surveilling her while she's with him because, you know, they're trying to figure out yeah. what's going on and they get pictures of her with him looking all happy and cute. And they're like, well, do you want to know where he was after he just left you? And at first she's like, no. And then she's like, no, show me. And she wants to know. And she sees pictures of him with another woman. Mm -hmm. um, so I like that there was that kind of whole, they made a focus on that in, in the new one to be like, you know, yeah. she's jealous, obviously, because she does have feelings. And the reason he kind of exclaims to her that how he knows what she's there for. He knows that she's there watching him and trying to catch him. He knows that. So he says, how would I know? I wanted to know that whatever you felt for me was real. And the only way I would know that is to see if you got mad with me or jealous with me if I was with another woman. Um, so that's why I had to do it. So I liked that that he there was more of explanation into the reasoning of why he was with another woman, because, you know, he knows her intentions. So he it, it, it he's right. It would be impossible for him to know if she really had feelings for him or if she was just pretending. Yeah. Unless he did something that he, you know he just assumed she wouldn't know about and her finding out about it and her reaction to that. So I liked that there was that added thing to really kind of show those feelings because it was really smart. Yeah. There's no way she, he could know for sure if she really felt something unless he saw her get jealous over another woman. It's all, so, it's all, yeah. it's all very clever again. Everybody's yeah. quite intelligent <laughs> in this, in, in the, in the remake. And ultimately it's a, a very good movie. Yeah. It's a really good remake. How they pull off the heist are really smart, just like yeah. showing how smart Thomas Crown is, him kind of doing it for the fun of it. I like that whole little ending, little heist where the painting, he returned the painting that he stole right away and it was hidden under another painting, yeah. which was kind of a callback to something he did earlier in the movie. And then the painting that she says she would steal if she ever stole a painting, like jokingly, is the one he took as kind yeah. of a symbol to her that, you know, she does mean something. So I like that whole kind of ending thing was really cute. 
but yeah, did I wish it was a more kind of, you know, vague ending where maybe like she's going to, you know, they don't end up together and she feels like she's going to like still try to hunt him down for the fun of it. And it's like this fun cat and mouse game or something like that, as opposed to them just ending up together and it being all cute. Yes, but I did like a lot of elements of this movie, and it was very entertaining to watch. Um, it was. You know, as opposed to other Deja Vu's we do where, you know, there's so much nonsense added in just for padding, um, or they kind of change things that didn't need to be changed, or they don't explain things as well as the other movie did, or the performances just aren't as good. Um, while I did, I think, prefer the original Thomas Crown Affair, there was a lot to like here, and I was super entertained, and I don't have a lot of bad to say about the the remake version. No, I don't either. There was elements to it that I preferred to the original, and there mm-hmm. was elements of the original that I preferred to this one. Yeah. If I was to go back and watch one of them, almost, I think, I th- well, it, it's... The old adage of the original's a better movie, but I'd almost go and rewatch the ninety nine one. Yeah. Sooner. Because I just think it's a little bit more streamlined. Yeah. To be honest with you. I think it's a bit more smooth of a movie. Yes, like even that whole ending sequence with the bowler hats, like that whole thing was a really fun kind of sequence. Like you get more stuff like that in the new one. Whereas you really only get the one big heist in the beginning and that's kind of the most action you get. And then after that, it's like her kind of figuring out, figuring him out, him figuring her out. And then the whole kind of love montage for kind of the rest of the movie. Um, Whereas this one, you do get kind of more action, more heisty stuff and more, uh, you know, you get them trying to figure each other out. Also them falling in love. Also them trying to, think about you know what does this mean for you know what we're both trying to accomplish here and you get two kind of fun interesting heists as opposed to the first one where you just get kind of one so yeah i think there's more kind of going into it more kind of fun things to look at and see in the new one um but i think like performances wise in like you know that whole style of the 60s and things like that the stylish aspects are definitely i think better in the original but if I you, think look, overall, if, if, more entertaining things to see, I think, than the new one is If is where you it's at. are up for a certain, if you, you know, if you're into this kind of aesthetic, if you're into that kind of vibe of late 60s, early 70s, it's a great movie to watch. Yeah. The original Thomas Crown Affair. And I do think it's a, a, a considerably better movie than the remake. Um, I just happened, maybe, maybe, um, maybe I just need to rewatch the older one, uh, or the original one, because it just still seems to me like there was a little bit, not that it was jarring, not that it didn't flow, but it was just, I just don't think it was as... I don't think the story was quite on a smooth level as the remake was, which is an unusual yeah, thing to say. Yeah, that never seems to happen. It's an unusual <laughs> thing to say. Yeah, uh, streamline, I think, is, is, is a good term you used. I think happened. the new one is definitely more streamlined. Yeah, it just happened to be the case, which is unusual. But, ultimately, I enjoyed both movies, which yes. is good. I enjoyed both movies a lot. 
and we of course have to say again thank you to Steve yes, Movie thank you, Steve, for, for your putting list of this movies. We on the this list from your list and yeah a new movie for both of us so definitely uh, a fun watch thank you so much yes well, speaking Janine. of patrons <laughs> speaking of patrons Janine what about patrons uh, we have the It's a Wonderful Podcast Patreon <laughs> we do we do so that's something you can join if you want to hang out with me and Morgan and see the things we do and check out our content and support what we do outside of our content um, and get fun stuff like, you know, picking a, a topic for our shows or getting artwork or um, voting on polls for fun things that we do in the future on this show. So, yeah, yeah. check it out. And it's a wonderful one on Patreon.com. Yes, patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one, of course, yes. mm-hmm. is where you can find that at. Live streams, artwork, uh, insights into other things that I'm doing, that you're doing, the videos. Like you said, just be a part of the Patreon. It's a fun place. There's all sorts of stuff going on on the Patreon. Find the tier that is right for you, of course. It's a wonderful podcast. Just search that on Patreon and you will find us there, I'm sure. Now, this is, of course, the main show. And we've been talking today about the Thomas Crown Affair from 1968, directed by Janine. <laughs> you always do we're this looking, to me. No, we're looking don't for tell me. Norman Jewison. Jewison, who did In the Heat of the Night. <laughs> yes, and he also did Fiddler on the Roof. And he also did uh, Moonstruck. Did. He's prolific he director, yes. is Norman Jewison. He's a good director. Um, starring, of course, Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway. But this is It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show, where we talk about those wonderful older movies that we love so much. But it is not the only show we have on this feed, because we do, of course, also have Machine Mondays every Monday, with Janine the Machine sat over there talking all her schmodown things. Mm-hmm. Of which there is far too much <laughs> lately. Yes. Um, because we're deciding to cram 84 matches into In one a week. week. Yes. Uh, <laughs> don't I don't come up with the schedule. No. I don't know what's going on. Um, we, of course, also have Morgan Hasn't Seen, which returns next week. Um, this past week was the last episode of Janine Hasn't Seen. We were talking about one of my favourite horror movies of all time, which is 1977 Suspiria. And Janine, I'm sure, still has the theme in her head right now as you're listening to this because... Well, I've always... uh, I said, I said on the episode, and I said on last week, something i think as well it, it the the suspiria theme was what woke me up as an alarm tone yes, for many many years <laughs> um and i love that i love that it was that is no longer the case i t- i turned it off because i was becoming slightly annoyed with the suspiria oh, no. theme tune and i didn't <laughs> want that to ever be the case <laughs> yes um that's why um but yes, that's what we were talking about on Janine Hasn't Seen This Past Week. And of course, next week, we're starting Janine's most favourite thing ever, <laughs> uh, which is the Twilight series that we'll yes. be doing on Morgan Hasn't Chosen Seen. Chosen by our patron, Billy Polyhan. He said, yep, 
let's make Morgan watch the Twilight films in September. So that is happening, guys. Morgan will be watching all the Twilight films for the first time ever. So, yes, it's going to be interesting. (laughs) Where can people find the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed? Uh, You can find it all places podcasts are found. You can, (laughs) which include Anchor. Yes. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Castbox, and a whole bunch of others because we are absolutely everywhere. See, well, what I need about you on, Twitter, on machine. Jean? I need you on Machine Mondays to do that because I just say all places podcasts are found, which is also accurate. I just have a system. Yes, you um, do. What about on Twitter, Janine? Uh, you can find us at It's a Wonderful One on Twitter. And yourself? And you can find me at Janine DeBean on Twitter and Instagram. And you can check out the uh, G9 Design Tee Public shop on tpublic.com if you want to get any merch for our shows or check out any of my artwork. There you go. I'm at the Purple Don with a three instead of the E on Twitter because, Janine... Three is the magic number. And that is all there is to it. We are done there, Janine. I think there's only one thing left to do. Do you want to do it in... Silence, because that's what Steve McQueen does in this movie. <laughs> right. Sure. We can't do it in silence. It doesn't <laughs> work. Um, should we do it? Who was in the remake? Apart from Dennis Leary, Frankie Faison was in the remake. Oh do it. <laughs> I forgot about. Uh, no. I forgot about uh, Frankie no. Faison. Um, it's not <laughs> I don't know, just, just you know, do the one thing that we have left to do, Janine. I don't care anymore. Three, two, one. Bye. Bye.